Section 23 of Martin Pippin in the Apple Orchard by Eleanor Fargen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Eastman. The Imprisoned Princess. There was once, dear maidens, a princess who was kept on an island. Jocelyn. There are no islands in Sussex. Martin. This didn't happen in Sussex. Jocelyn. But I thought it was a true story. Martin. It is the only true story of them all. She was kept on the island locked up in a tower, for the best of all the reasons in the world. She had fallen in love. She had fallen in love with her father's squire. So the king banished him forever, and locked up his daughter in a tower on an island, and had it guarded by six gorgons. Jocelyn. It's not a true story. Martin. It is a true story. If you don't say so at the end, I'll give you. Jocelyn. What? I don't want you to give me anything. Martin. All right, then. Jocelyn. What will you give me? Martin. A yellow shoestring. By six gorgons, repeated Martin, who had the sharpest claws and the snakiest hair of any gorgons there ever were. And their faces. Jocelyn. Leave their faces alone. Martin. You are being a perfect nuisance. Jocelyn. I simply hate this story. Martin. Tell it yourself, then. Jocelyn. What about their faces? Their faces, said Martin, were as beautiful as day and night and the four seasons of the year. They were so beautiful that I must stop talking about them, or I shall never talk about anything else. So I'd better talk about the young squire, who was a great deal less interesting, except for one thing, that he was in love, which is a big advantage to have over gorgons who never are. The only other noteworthy thing about him was that his voice was breaking, because he was merely fifteen years old. He was just a sort of odd boy about the king's court. Martin. Mistress Jocelyn, if you keep on wiggling so much, you'll get a nasty tumble. Kindly sit still and let me get on. This isn't a very long story. One morning in April, this squire sat down at the end of the world, and he sobbed and he sighed like any poor soul. And a sort of wandering fellow who was going by had enough curiosity to stop and ask him what was the matter. And the squire told him, and added that his heart was breaking for longing of the flower that his lady wore in her hair. So this fellow said, Is that all? And he got into his boat, which had a painted prow, and a light green pennon, and a gilded sail, and called itself the Golden Truant. And he sailed away a thousand leagues over the water, till he came to the island where the princess was imprisoned. And the six gorgons came hissing to the shore, and asked him what he wanted. And he said he wanted nothing but to play and sing to them. So they let him. And while he did so, they danced and forgot, 
and he ran to the tower and found the princess with her beautiful head bowed on the window-sill behind the bars, weeping like January rain. And he climbed up the wall and took from her hair the flower as she wept, in exchange for another which, which the squire had sent her. And she whispered a word of sorrow, and he another of comfort, and came away. And the Gorgons suspected nothing, except perhaps the littlest Gorgon, and she looked the other way. So in the summer the squire told the wanderer that he would shortly die unless he had his lady's ring to kiss, and the fellow went again to the island. The Gorgons were not sorry to see him, and were willing to dance while he played and sang as before. And as before he took advantage of their pleasure, and stole the gold ring from the princess's hand as she lay in tears behind her bars. But in place of the gold ring he left a silver one which had belonged to, to the squire. And the voice of her despair spoke through her tears, and he answered it as best he could with the voice of hope, and went away as before, leaving the gorgons dancing. Then in the autumn the squire said to the wanderer, Who can live on flowers and rings? If you do not get me my lady herself, let me lie in my grave. So the wanderer set sail for the third time, though he knew that the dangers and difficulties of this last adventure were supreme. And once more he landed on the island of the imprisoned princess. And this time the Gorgons even appeared a little pleased to see him, and let him stay with them six days and nights, telling them stories and singing them songs, and inventing games to keep them amused. For he was very sorry for them. Jocelyn Why, why, why? Marden Because he discovered that they were even unhappier than the princess in her tower. Jocelyn It isn't true! It isn't true! Marden, look out, you're losing your slipper. Of course the Gorgons were unhappier than the princess. She was only parted from her lover, but they were parted from love itself. But as the week wore on, miracles happened. For every night, one of the Gorgons turned into the beautiful girl she used to be, before the goddess of reason, infuriated with the irrational god who bestows on girls their quite unreasonable loveliness, had made her what she was. And night by night the wanderer rubbed his eyes, and wondered if he had been dreaming. For the guardians of the tower no longer hissed, but sighed at love, and instead of claws for the destructions of lovers, had beautiful kind hands that longed to help them. Until on the sixth night only one remained this fellow's enemy. But alas, she was the strongest and fiercest of them all. Jocelyn, how dare you? And her case, said Marden, was hopeless, because she alone of them all had never known what love was, and so had nothing to be restored to. Jocelyn, how dare you? And without her, said Marden, there was nothing to be done. She had always had the others under her thumb, and by this time she had the wanderer in exactly the same place, 
And so, and so, and so here is your shoestring, Mistress Jocelyn, and I am sorry the want of it has been such an inconvenience to you all day, so that you could not make merry with us. But I must forfeit it now, for the story is ended, and I think you must own it is true. Jocelyn I won't take it. The story is not true. The story is not ended. Finish it at once. None of the others ended like this. Martin. The others weren't true. Jocelyn. I don't care. You are to say what happened to the Gorgons. Joyce. And to the squire. Jennifer. And to the princess. Jessica. And what she looked like. Jane. And what happened to the king? Please, Martin, said little Joan, please don't let the story come to an end before we know what happened to the wanderer. I'm tired of telling stories, said Martin, and I'll never tell another as long as I live. But I suppose I must add the trimmings to this one, or I shall get no peace. All these things, dear maidens, are very quickly told except what the princess looked like, for that is impossible. No man ever knew. He never got farther than her eyes, and then he was drowned. But what does it matter how she looked? She died a thousand years ago of a broken heart, and her squire, hearing of her death, died too, a thousand leagues away. And the king her father expired of remorse, and his country went to rack and ruin, and the five kind gorgons had to pay the penalty of their regained humanity, and wilted into their maiden graves. Only the sixth gorgon lived on for ever and ever. I dare not think of her solitary eternity. But as for the wanderer, he is of no importance. A little while he still went wandering, singing these lovers' sorrows to the world, and what became of him I never knew. That's the end. And now, dear Mistress Jocelyn, let me lace up your shoe. Jocelyn buried her face in her hands and burst out crying. Postlude, Part One There was consternation in the apple orchard. All the milkmaids came tumbling from their perches to run and comfort their weeping comrade. And as they passed Martin, Joyce cried, it's a shame! And Jennifer murmured, How could you? And Jessica exclaimed, You brute! And Jane said, I'm surprised at you! And even little Joan shook her head at him, and while all the others fondled Jocelyn and petted and consoled her, took her hand and held it very tight. But with her other hand she took Martin's and held it just as tight, and looked a little anxious, with tears in her blue eyes yet she looked a little smiling, too. And there were tears also in the eyes of all the milkmaids, because the story had ended so badly, and because they did not in the least know what was going to happen, and because a man had made one of them cry. And Martin suddenly realized that all these girls were against him, as much as though it were six months ago. And he swung his feet and looked as though he didn't care so that Joan knew he was feeling rather sheepish inside, and held his hand a little tighter. Then Jocelyn, 
who had the loveliest brown, as Joan had the loveliest blue, eyes in England, lifted her young head, and looked at Marden so defiantly through her tears, that he knew she had given up the game at last. And he pressed Joan's hand for all he was worth, and began to look ashamed of himself, so that Joan knew he had stopped feeling sheepish in the least. And Jocelyn, in a voice that shook like birch leaves, said, I don't want it to end like that. Marden, Dear Mistress Jocelyn, is it my fault? I promised you the truth, and with your help I have told it. Jocelyn, How dare you say it's with my help, if I had my way? Marden, You shall have it. We will leave the end of the story in your hands. Jocelyn, I won't have anything to do with it. Marden, Then I'm afraid it's your fault. Jocelyn, that's what a man always says. Martin, did he? Jocelyn, yes, he did. He said it was Eve's fault. Martin, so it was. Jocelyn, how dare you? Martin, he said nothing but the truth. And what did you say? Jocelyn, I said it was Adam's fault. Martin, so it was. You said nothing but the truth. Jocelyn. How could it be two people's fault? Marden. How could it be anything else? Oh, Jocelyn, there are two things in this world that one person alone cannot bring to perfection, and one of them is a fault. It takes two people to make a perfect fault. Eve tempted Adam and Adam was jolly glad to get tempted if he was half as sensible as he ought to have been. And Eve knew it, and Adam let her know it. And if after that she had not tempted him, he would never have forgiven her. And if he had not succumbed to her temptation after he had let her know it, she would never have forgiven him. When it came to fault-making, they understood each other perfectly, and between them they made the most perfect fault in the world. Jocelyn, after a long pause. You said there were two things. Marden, two things? Jocelyn, that one person alone can't bring to perfection. Marden, did I? Jocelyn, what is the other thing? Marden, love, isn't it? Jocelyn, how dare you ask me? Marden, I dare ask more than that. Jocelyn, how old are you? Jocelyn, I shan't tell you. Marden, Jocelyn, you are the tallest of the milkmaids, but you can't help that. How old are you? Jocelyn, mind your own business. Marden, Jocelyn, the first three times I saw you, you had your hair down your back. But ever since I told you my first story, you have done it up like beautiful dark flowers on each side of your head, and it is my belief that you have no business to have it up at all. Jocelyn, very angrily, How dare you! Of course I have! Am I not nearly sixteen? 
Martin. Nearly? Jocelyn. Well, next June. Martin. Oh, Hebe, it's worse than I thought. How dare I? You whippersnapper! How dare you have us all under your thumb? How dare you play the gorgon to Jillian? How dare you cry your eyes out because my lovers had an unhappy ending? Go back to your doll's house. What does sixteen next to June know about Adam? What does sixteen next June know about love? Jocelyn. Everything! How dare you! Everything! Martin. Am I to believe you? Then by all you know, you baby, give me the sixth key of the well-house. And he took from his pocket the five keys he already had, and held out his hand for the last one. Jocelyn's eyes grew bigger and bigger, and the doubt that had troubled her all day became a certainty as she looked from the keys to her comrades, who all got very red and hung their heads. "'Why did you give them up?' demanded Jocelyn. "'Because,' Martin answered for them, "'they know everything about love. "'But then they are all more than sixteen years of age, "'and capable of making the right sort of ending, "'which is so impossible to children like you and me.' "'Then Jocelyn looked as old as she could, and said, "'Not so impossible, Master Pippin, if... if... But all of a sudden she began to laugh. It was the first time Marden had ever heard her laugh, or her comrades for six months. Their faces cleared like magic, and they all clapped their hands and ran away. And Marden got down from his bow, because when Jocelyn laughed, she didn't look more than fourteen. If what, Jocelyn? he said. If you'd stolen the right shoestring, Marden said she. And she stuck out her right foot with its neatly laced yellow slipper. Then Martin knelt down, and instead of lacing the left shoe, unlaced the right one, and inside the yellow slipper found the sixth key just under the instep. "'Is that the right ending?' said Jocelyn. And Martin held the little foot in his hands, rubbing it gently, and said compassionately, it must have been dreadfully uncomfortable. It was sometimes, said Jocelyn. Didn't it hurt? asked Marden, beginning to lace up her shoes for her. Now and then, said Jocelyn. It was an awfully kiddish place to hide it in, said Marden, finishing. And as he looked up, Jocelyn laughed again, rubbing her tear-stained cheeks with the back of her hand and for all the great growing girl that she was, looked no more than twelve. So he slid under the swing, and stood up behind her, and kissed her on the back of the neck, where babies are kissed. Then all the milkmaids came back again. Part Two To every girl, Marden handed her key. This is your business, said he. And first Joan and next Joyce, and then Jennifer, and then Jessica, and then Jane, and last of all Jocelyn, put her key into its lock and turned. And not one of the keys would turn. They bit their lips and held their breath, and turned and turned in vain. This is dreadful, 
said Morden. Are you sure the keys are in the right keyholes? They all fit, said little Joan. Let me try, said Morden. And he tried, one after another, and then tried each key singly in each lock, but without result. Jane said, I expect they've gone rusty. And Jessica said, That must be it. And Jennifer turned pale and said, Then Jillian can never get out of the well-house, or we out of the orchard. And Marden sat down in the swing, and thought, and thought. As he thought, he began to swing a little, and then a little more, and suddenly he cried, Push me! And the six girls came behind him, and pushed with all their strength. Up he went, with his legs pointed as straight as an arrow, and back he flew, and up again. The third time the swing flew clean over the well-house, and as true as a diving gannet, Marden dropped from mid-air into the little court, and stood face to face with Jillian. End of Postlude Part 2